This morning we're going to be speaking, it's actually two topics and the Lord is going to lead, I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will lead to where I must stop this thing this morning. So when maybe one of you start yawning profusely and, uh, and starting to fall asleep, then I will take that as, as the first sign. Because this is, this is, it started off with one topic, conscience, your conscience, yeah, your gewete. It started off with that into some other things and but all of it is this morning and, and I, I I'm starting to think differently about the role of my conscience my gewete in my own life there was my whole life I thought when I thought about conscience I thought it was my gewete it was something but my unclear naughty something that helps me to kind of to be miserable enough about something that I did because then my conscience tells me that what you do, that is wrong. And it, it, it was almost like an afterthought type of process uh, uh, when I grew up. And then I listened to a preach at, at, at a conference, a 2018 conference, and I want to invite you guys to go and listen to that yourself because he unpacks it a lot deeper than what we're going to do this morning of the legendary Wimwil Moray. Don't know who of you know him. He was one of the guys that worked apostolically into uh, the 412 network and he spoke about conscience my gewete, versus God conscience uh, consciousness being conscious bewustheid van God and hoe meer bewust ek van God raak in my leven how that works into my conscience my gewete and he described my conscience as something actually not to kind of helped me along the way after I did something as a as a but it's actually something that is a bit of a safeguard before I do something that I should not be doing. Your conscience is something that is actually supposed to steer you in a direction rather than just being this alarm that goes off after I did something wrong. He says that so, so often we mix up conviction and conscience with each other. Conviction is the thing that the Holy Spirit is the tool. The, the purpose of conviction is where the Holy Spirit comes on. And I did something wrong and after I did it, the Holy Spirit comes in and it brings conviction in an area. But what he then describes is, and I saw it, I, I, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. What happened in my own life is, is some areas where your conscience is blunt, as your gewet is a bit afgestomp is op area, then conviction sometimes doesn't come automatically or that easy because if the Holy Spirit doesn't have something to work with in terms of my conscience, then there's not a lot to work with in terms of bringing conviction after I did it. Because if it wasn't wrong before I did it, it's not going to be very easy to show me that it was wrong after I did that. Does it make sense? And so this morning, I want to go there. I want to go to the conscience, but I first need to take it a little bit of a step back. Because I, 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 it's important to me that we just understand God's heart when it comes to these things. Because if we don't understand God's design, then often when we talk about things of the Lord, it becomes something that I put on you, like a, like a weight that I put on you, like the law. And then Chris goes away, uh, oh, my sock is off track. And so I want to go just a bit of a step back. I had a close call. I had a very close call in my life two weeks ago. And the strangest thing is at the time I didn't know it was a close call. 
I didn't realize it was a close call because there was something in my conscience that was a bit blunted in that area. And I didn't see God's point of view. Remember when we talked about perceptive perception versus point of view. Now through my perception, through the immediate what I could see around me, I was okay. But the minute that I was able to see through God's point of view, I suddenly realized, oh my word, I'm in trouble here in my heart. And I had a close call. And I, I got a little clip here that I want to show you about how sometimes a close call works. There's no sound there. It's just the visuals. Look at a few close calls. That guy's okay. Nobody was hurt during the making of these calls. Don't worry. Just look at all these close calls. goes on and on. I think it's about 20 minutes or something of close calls. Now a close call is exactly that. It's sometimes when I think I'm going on and the next moment, boom, something happens. I remember we went to Swellendam the other day with Mark and Niels was there as well and we were driving and chatting in the combi and the next moment the tyre burst and, 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 and Mark was absolutely amazing, he was like a superhero on that wheel and he got hold of it immediately but a close call, it could have ended a lot differently, I mean that wagon, Vainke, the, the trailer could have tugged on, on, the, on, the, on the thing, it could have acted, ended up a lot differently than that. And so a close call is this, but in our spiritual life, this is all close calls that's in the moment. It's a bunch of suddenlies because everybody was like, but what happens is in sometimes in our spiritual walk, we have a, a, a close call, but it's over a period of time. Because the enemy is amazing at playing the long game with us. He's not always interested in working something in this morning or for that day. You know, he's very, very patient in working something in us over a period of time. And sometimes he will sp spend weeks and months and even years with the objective and with his eye on the prize a year later. And the thing is, he's very specific as well. And we're going to look at a, at a scripture that says this, Ephesians 6 verse 10. Listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand 
against the enemy's schemes. You see that word schemes. Now schemes is not very obvious most of the time. A scheme is exactly that. It's most of the time. It's something that works over time. It's something that gradually works its way in there. So it's not always something that you see. That's what a close call. You don't see the danger coming. You don't see where you are headed. It's something that is worked over time. And he's absolutely amazing at that. I love this. This uh, the, the, if you go in the in the in the meaning of it, the word scheme is called methodia. A methodia. It's called, the English term is just method. And the, look at this the description that the, the Strong's Bible gives it. It says it's a predictable method used in organized evil doing. It's like organized organized evil doing. So he's very well organized in the way that he wants to do evil in your life, the way that he schemes in that. And he's also very, he looks at the person, he's bio individualistic. So he will know of the things that has happened in Andre's earlier life, he knows of Andre's weaknesses, he knows of the conversations that Andre is having, all of these things, he's very aware of that. And then he starts plotting and scheming, and he will send someone maybe, and he will use a conversation around that. And so he schemes, and his plots get thicker and thicker, until that one day, when he creates a close call. And it is then, when we need to have our wits about us. It's then when we need the, the Lord. And, and, and that's immediately after I said all of these things. I want to immediately tell you that the Lord, our Father, loves us dearly. God the Father loves us dearly. And He says in the Bible that He will let, not let anything happen to us. He will not let anything take us out of the palm of His hand. So it's important for us to know that. But, but, there's some conditions to that. And often we don't look at the conditions. We only look at the fact that no, God is in control. Oh, we say that so often. God is in control. Doesn't matter what I do, God is in control. And we almost get to a place where we're almost passive. We're almost sitting back and saying, Jesus must let this thing go. I can walk the way I want. I can cycle where I want to cycle. There's no chance of me having a close call because God is in control and He will keep me. When Wilma in the specific preach says this very almost famously again he says 99% of my walk in this Christian journey with the Lord 99% is my responsibility 1% is God's responsibility but then he clarifies it he says this he says that 1% of God is like an atomic bomb that goes off it has all the power it's got all the dynamic it's got everything to change and transform and bring to me what I need in that moment. So it's a very powerful 1%. But 99% is still up to me. Because if I don't partner with the Lord, and that's the reality of the thing. How can God speak to me if I don't spend time with Him? How can He speak into my life if I don't have a time in the morning or a time in the evening or whenever where I allow Him to speak to me? How can He speak to me through osmosis? How can I know God's character, God's heart, God's designs and God's will for me if I don't read His Bible? If I don't go and look to and, and, and learn more about Him, then I won't know. And it's that part, that seeking God. And you remember, we saw, since this beginning of the year, we're talking about seeking God. Ne? 
So when we want to seek God, it's, there's a, there's a, there is an onus, there is a responsibility on me to do these things. How can Jesus free Sujay from addiction and strongholds in her life if she never partners with him? If she never comes to him and says, Lord Jesus, I want to be on your side against this thing, this, this addiction that is playing off in my life. I want to partner with you. I want to come surrender. I want to come submitted to you, Lord. I want to bring my 99% of me to you so that your 1% of power can bring freedom to me in this area. But God will not force himself on you. He will not do something that you don't partner in with him. James 1 verse 13 to 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by their own evil desires, dragged away and enticed. Then after desires conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. God doesn't tempt us. But he wants us to come with that 99% of ourselves. And, and, and someone also said once that sometimes we think of the more of the Holy Spirit I can get, the better off I'll be. You know, the more anointed I'll be. And I just need more of the Holy Spirit. When in actual fact, the truth in that is the more of me the Holy Spirit has, the more submitted I am, the more I've given of myself, the more I've crucified of myself, which the Bible says, the more I deny myself. The less of me and the more of him, the better off I am. And so there's a responsibility on us to do that. Now again, I want to bring the balance even to that. And that's amazing, the Father, the loving Father that we have. Because there are immediately a lot of us, 99% of it is my responsibility. I need to pull up my socks. And there is that sense of, you must walk away with that sense of there is an obligation, there is a responsibility on me. But you know what the beauty of it is? The Lord says, even if you bring your 99% and you ask me, Lord, will you please help me with my 99%? He will help you with your 99% through His 1%. And the Bible says that. Philippians 2 verse 13, it says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. It says here, in this translation I've got here, it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So even if you ask him, and I think that's something that my mom taught us from an early age, the minute that there is that part of we, I've got a responsibility, when I was like, ach, jyre, ek is die lis vir 5 uur in die ochend opstaan vir stilte tyd. It's difficult. It doesn't come naturally. Everything in me wants to hit the snooze button. And the beauty of our Father is that we can bring that 99% responsibility. And you can say, Father, will you please help me? Won't you work it on my heart? Will you, will you help me to make this thing important to me? And then the Bible says, He's the one that works it in you. And how often it has happened in that way. That sometimes something kicks off with me not hitting the snooze button, taking a bit of responsibility. And then I go in that first morning and I have my quiet time and miskin is it moeilik, jong, ek verlaas it. And then the second time I do the same, it takes a bit of responsibility, it takes a bit of self-discipline of me. 
And then the second and the third time. And, and suddenly I get to spend time with him. And suddenly one morning I actually have a, a connection with him that is just absolutely amazing. And he speaks to me. And about three or four times down the line, I don't have to wake myself up anymore. It's not a responsibility of I have to drag myself to my quiet time. It's actually I can't wait to go to my quiet time. And then he is the one that makes it easy. He's the one that makes it part of me, that gives me the desire to do something. But there is that part of him that says you need to take responsibility. You need to, sometimes it's, it's found in self-discipline. Sometimes it's found in you actually having to do something. And what does it come down to? Why is it so important? When we talked about conscience, your conscience, your <laughs> do you realize that God is the one that actually designed and created you with a conscience? It is not something that got into you over billions of years ago. But, uh, what do you call it? Evolution. Thanks. Evolution. A conscience was, when the minute that God made you, He made you with a conscience. The Bible teaches us that. So He put it in you. And like a conscience, there's other things in this life that God has designed and planned and built around us with a very specific plan and purpose connected to that thing. Very specific. And He does that and He creates these things to keep us in a place where that is safe to us. That he, it's like, almost like having a habitat or a, a surroundings, an environment where He's able to grow us in that. And the 99% responsibility is for me to stay within those boundaries, to stay within that ways of God, to stay within the plans of God and His design for my life. That's my responsibility, to stay within that. You get that? And that's the same with conscience. It's the same with conscience, but we're going to get to that just now. I just quickly want to, I just want to quickly stand still on God's design because if we understand God's design for our life we understand the heart behind design then we will realize that it's actually Him loving us that has put us these things around us it's not to bring a law on us it's not to bring some kind of a religious thinking on us that I have to do this and I have to do this but actually it's His heart behind us it's because He loves you so much because He wants you to grow <coughs> because He wants freedom for you that he has put these things around us. So, take for instance, transparency. The Bible teaches us that we are to live transparent lives. The Bible says live in the light, don't live in the darkness. So it's a specific design of the Lord. It's a specific way of the Lord that he has placed around us. And his heart behind it is, is that I will never be able to fall into sin. Because if I live a life that is out in the open and transparent then I will not be able to keep sin for myself. So that's a way of the Lord, transparency. So now we teach transparency, and we not teach it to say, I want you to be transparent because this is a law that I'm putting on you, but it's actually a design. It's a way of the Lord to keep you safe in that. Accountability. To be accountable to someone else and someone in the body. Why are we accountable? It's a design, it's a plan, it's a scheme, if you want to call it like that. Of the Lord to keep you safe. Because if I'm accountable to someone, 
And the Lord says that eldership, I'm an elder within Joshua. I'm an elder in this congregation as well. And the Lord says that I am anointed and I'm appointed and I'm gifted and I'm graced to watch over you guys. That's what the Bible says. Not because I'm so beautiful and brilliant and not because I've got everything made. Because, but, but, but God chose me to do this and fulfill this role. To serve you basically with the gift that He has placed in me. It's not even mine. Because He has made it. It's not even my, my goeigheid. So He's placed something in me and I am to take this gifting, I am to take this grace and I am to serve Andre with that. But the question is, how can I serve Andre with that gift? And, and watch over him if he's not accountable towards me. If every week he does something and and he's decided to do that. And if Sarah and Nathan just decided, no, they're going to quit their jobs and they, they feel the Lord is telling them that they need to raise their kids and plant vegetable gardens out of their house and only feed from that. And, and then two weeks later I found out, I said, how can I watch over them if they're not accountable? So there's a design of the law, there's a certain way of the law that He has placed us in, and accountability and transparency and all of these things that we value so much from His Word, from His Bible, is actually there to guard over us and to make sure that we steer, uh, keep on the course that we need to be. Even something, even something, I'll I'll go there. Even something like tithing. Yes. (laughs) Even something like tithing. I think so often, and there's two parts to tithing. We heard last week. Give to God what is God's. Give to God what is God's. And it's it's an important principle. To get to that place to know that there are certain things that is His. Not mine. It's an important value. It's an important <coughs> principle to hold on to. But have you ever thought that tithing, your finances, is something that God has placed? It's a design of Him that He has placed in your life to safeguard you, to keep you in a place that helps you grow in the area of faithfulness. In accountability. Have you ever thought of that? That your finances can actually be something, a loving way, not to lord it over you and say, hey, you didn't Stout. But actually, it's a loving way of God saying, listen, if you keep with my ways, if you keep within my design, with I'm in the boundaries, Amen. there's certain things that I use that thing. To work something in you that is of me and that will keep you on course to avoid certain close calls. Yes. Because all of that, and so all of these things that we, that we preach, all of these things that we teach on, if we look behind the scenes, if we look behind the schemes of that, it's actually to safeguard us. It's to build a character in us. It's to build certain things in us. And the objective is is to avoid close calls like that. Is to, or for us to be able to walk out, out this journey and walk it out with the Lord and stay close to the Lord in these things. And that's the heart of the Lord, is to safeguard us from that. And I have to say, 
I have become, and now we're going a little bit to conscious. I have become a cheerleader or a defender or whatever of God's ways. And I think it's something that the Lord has wired in me over many years about when it comes to God's ways. I remember when we did, I've told you this many times, I won't repeat the, the, the example. But the time that we planted vegetables and I had things my way, I did it all kinds of ways and the vegetables was just atrocious. We didn't have any crops and it was half a crop and it was just, it was a shambles up there. And the Lord sent us to farming God's way and we did the training farming God's way in Port Elizabeth and everything literally doubled overnight and it was just absolutely amazing. And that's just that experience installed something in me. Just something, a wiring of him to realize, hang on, if we do this life God's way, if we look towards God's ways of doing this life, it's actually for my good. It's a lot better than my ways. And I think it's something that has transpired into other areas in my life as well. Church, I am convinced I am overly convinced that I'm almost like a defender. I feel something rise up in me when I start hearing people saying, no, I can do church from home. Man. I don't, I, I'm not a part of a, of a bigger church family. It's fine. I, I'm okay. I don't need these things. And suddenly there's almost like a question mark behind God's design that He speaks about in the Bible of how, how we should live, what the environment, what the habitat is that I'm supposed to live in. And, I, and when it comes to church, I remember me and Mark had a conversation. I thought of Arma Mark didn't know where he was heading into. And, and I think he was trying to explain something to me way differently. But all I heard is his church. And I was like defending it was two years or three years ago. Uh, the very first conversation we ever had. I was, I, I think, but that was almost the start. It was, it was before we planted church or after. Anyway, just after. And I could feel something in me defending this way of God. Being a defender of this ways of God. Because I, there was something in me that realized and saw that if we get it right, if we do get church right, if we do get this, this design of God right, and the right structures and healthy structures of eldership and deaconship and, and all of these things are done correctly according to the way that the Lord wants us to do these things. It is the most beautiful thing on earth. And there's a lot of healing and restoration that happens within this body. And it's being built up and we build each other up and we speak into each other's life. And there's transparency and accountability and there's growth. And we, it's beautiful when we do it like the way that God wants us to do that. And so I've been, I, I'm finding in myself, I'm becoming a real defender of these things of God, but I see the opposite happening in the world. I see these question marks over everything these days. Things that has been done for many years, according to God's ways, but because the world is questioning them, it started to even seep into the church, and now suddenly we, we're questioning things that was never a question mark, now it's a question mark. And the thing is, the problem is, and Andrew talked about this a, 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 a few years ago at one of the conferences, the speed at which these days a question mark becomes the new norm is just like this. Just like this. It used to take a whole culture 50 years before something became a culture, but these days it's 10 years. 
five years, and then something is the new norm. And suddenly we're questioning God's ways, we're questioning the ways of the Bible, some things in the Bible, the, the, the God's design of a family, a man and a husband, and God's nucleus for family is being questioned. And at first the question started in the 90s or 80s, maybe before that, but it was just a question mark. And it seeped into the church, and even the church started questioning it. Now today, it's the normal. It's not a question mark anymore. The family can look any way that the family wants to look like. There's no, there's no specific design to that anymore. It can be a, two husbands, two wives, doesn't matter. And suddenly we see culture changing in an instant. And the Bible speaks about that. I'm not going to go to that scripture. The Bible speaks about that in the last days. There will be teachers that bring us false teachings. And they will be able to change a culture overnight. Just like that. And suddenly we will find ourselves questioning God's designs for our lives. Even in the church. And there will be question marks where there will never be question marks. Suddenly we are questioning the things that Paul wrote. Yeah, but... Paul wrote these things for a very specific generation. He wrote it in a culture that was looking like that. And now suddenly we're adding culture and we're adding the way that we interpret the thing. And there's question marks. And the thing is what happens is, is through these question marks, the enemy has them. Because remember now, he plays the long game. He's not always interesting in bringing our close calls in an instant. He plays the long game. So he knows that if we have question marks on certain things that we believe in for long enough, that at some point it will affect our conscience. And sometimes if your conscience is seared in a specific area, the Bible talks about that. If your conscience is seared in a specific area, there's no conviction that follows at the end of that. Can I give you an example of that? Are you still with me? Just yell it by soul for water. 1 Timothy 4 verse 2 says this. 1 Timothy. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow the seeing spirit, things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. The long game. The hope the devil, the enemy is working towards a close encounter, a close call. He wants to destroy us. He wants us to, to fall at some point. And he knows all that he sometimes has to do is he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to, there's a, there's a, no, I'm not going to go there. He doesn't always have to bring you at the outcome initially. All he needs to do is just raise certain question marks over God's design, over your beliefs, over some things that the Bible says. And if that's there long enough, at some point, there is the, the opportunity to make that a truth and to make that a normal. And that's what happened in the church with a lot of things these days. There's a lot of things that was in the, in the 1990s, 1980s that was all good. And suddenly it's like, no, no, no. Culture has changed. We must move with the times. The Bible must be updated to what today's culture is saying. Okay, I'm not going to labor that point. I need to finish up. Conscience. I want to use two examples where 
question marks seals a conscience and where if you have a conscience that is fully has his eyes on the Lord and on Jesus and if we stick within his ways if we are transparent accountable in the body if we stay within the boundaries of God's design where we are safe and other areas where we are not safe and there's two guys that had the same temptation in their lives one was David and the other one was Joseph exactly the same temptation the temptation was a beautiful lady we're not going to look at the scriptures now it's going to take too much time but there was two temptations the first one was Joseph where it was Potiphar's throat Potiphar was coming to Joseph and he was saying hey boy I think you are very attractive and I would love it when Will says this he says, she, she said I, will you please come and sleep with me and she didn't have sleeping problems. It wasn't for sleeping that the problem was there. So she didn't need help falling asleep or anything like that. So she requested from him. And the Bible teaches us. Because Joseph. Listen to this. Because Joseph's conscience. Was God conscious at that time. He didn't fall into that temptation. He didn't have a close call. His conscience, God's ways, God's design kept him safe in that time. His conscience before he did that, he never had to go to a place of conviction or repentance because his conscience saved the day. He kept him away from danger. A conscience that is God conscious the whole time, that is not putting myself, me, myself and I ahead of God, is a conscience that's safe. And he was saved. The Bible teaches us that he ran from her. He said, no, stay away from me, evil woman. I will not do what you want me to do. And I think he denied her twice. I think it was more than once that he denied her. So the enemy even played the long game. He tried more than once. But Joseph never allowed himself. He was always just God conscious. He allowed his conscience to be not seared by by his self and his own desires, what we read earlier, that our own desires is the one that tempts us, that leads us away from the Lord. And then we look at David, that had a bit of a different story, same thing. He looked at the lady, she was taking a bath, and the role of his conscience at that time, if it was God conscious, his conscience had the ability to scream at David and say, look away, look away. That was God's purpose with his conscience. But what did David do? <laughs> he looked too long. He looked too long. And he allowed, what that, what that scripture says, he seared his conscience. He allowed, and what happens with the seared conscience is suddenly the schemes of the enemy starts to take hold and starts to pick up momentum. And what the enemy does is he doesn't always have to work from the outside. All he needs to do is just work with the desires, the fleshly desires that's already there. We said this. He knows exactly what I'm doing. He just works with that. And in order with that, and so what happened is, is David, I promise you, if David was transparent and accountable and living within the design of the Lord, and if he had one of his mighty men and he went to them and he said, Bru, 
I'm struggling. There's this lady I saw her this morning. I looked away, but it was too late. I'm having this mental pictures of this lady woman in front of me. I don't know what to do. And if his friend and he, and if he was transparent and accountable, his friend would say, "Let's pray. Let's pray for the Lord to remove these images from you." But what did he do? He hovered. He hovered in that. And you see what happened is the Bible teaches us that he even started working with the schemes of the enemy. And he heard these plans in his head and his thoughts. Hmm. Maybe if she was single, there was maybe a chance that I could marry this girl. How can I get her to be single? Her husband needs to die first. And it's amazing. We're talking about David here. We're not talking about just a figure in the Bible. We're talking about David here. The Lord says, a man after my own heart. A man that wrote in Psalms, he's the guy that wrote, search me, O Lord, if there's anything in me that offends you. That same person. And suddenly he has one of the closest calls in his life that he's ever had. And in David's case, his conscience, because he got seared, wasn't able to protect him as God intended and he sinned. The Bible says he sinned so much that he got to look at that. Just go to that scripture. It's amazing. Yeah. So did you don't get this upset. He's talking as if. He said, I'm going to send this guy, but you know these guys are going to die if I send them in here. He said, don't let it upset you. <clears throat> That's part of the plan, man. I want him to go and die there. So there was even an opportunity to get out of his close call at that point. And David said, no, 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 don't let it upset you. I want him to send in there. Press the attack against the enemy and destroy it. That's, that's hectic. For a guy like David to go from where he was to that place where he actually, and he said, when you realize I've heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Next, next, the next part. After the time of mourning was over, look at this, this is super important that you realize this. After the time of mourning, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. I want to ask you this where's the conviction? There's no conviction. There's no repentance. Even after the deed that he did, there was still no conviction and no repentance. And it is similar with the close call that I had. When I was in it, just grab my kill. When I was in it, when I was in my own thoughts, when I was in my self-pity, when I was in that moment of pride. I didn't see there was no conviction. And I went to a place where I said, I, I feel no conviction. I, I've got a clear conscience. Why did I have a clear conscience? Not because I was right, but because my con conscience was seared. That's what happened today. Oh, and that's a close call. That's, that, that thing goes to death. That thing goes to death. And I hear sometimes, you can tell what I say, but I, my conscience is clear. And then I'm looking at the situation, that specific situation, and I say, Lord, I know that this person is not on the road that you have for them. I know that these things that this person is doing, this, this way of thinking, this is not of you. 
I can see it. As an elder, I see many times just thinking, just thinking that's not, and I, sometimes I don't know exactly what it is, but I see thinking that's just not there. <clears throat> but you don't see it. And I'm thinking, but okay, but they say their conscience is clear. And this week the Lord showed me this thing. He said, a clear conscience. And Paul says this. Listen, listen to what Paul says here. I'll read you the spot. 1 Corinthians 4. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And I always want to say this. Don't always rely on a clear conscience. Rely on the full design of God in your life. Rely on the full design that has that God has for you, not just your conscience. Because often when we do stuff that we're not supposed to do, and I'm at the end of that and I don't feel guilty, it's not because you're innocent, perhaps. And that's where God has placed you amongst people. That is why God has placed some things, other than designs in your life, like accountability and transparency and the body around you. To safeguard us and to keep us in a place where we are safe. To keep us in a place. And Will Marie, when you when you listen to this, uh, to the message about the conscience, he says this, and it's a scary thought. Your conscience is like an invisible compass. 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 A compass. <laughs> and what happens is this. <clears throat> Airplanes and, and, and ships. Yeah, you can use it in the desert if you want to go there. The point is this I want to go from me to Ronnie that's sitting at the back there. And I'm going to use my compass. My compass will say 45 degrees south, and if I head in that direction, I will reach Ronnie. But if my conscience is just a bit seared, and how does it get seared? <clears throat> Perhaps. I've been listening to some false teachings for too long. Perhaps my conscience has been seared because I've been watching Betseba, what was I from, and, and I, I, I looked a little bit too long. And so television, for instance, in my life, I constantly, I, I watched the uh, 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 Netflix thing. Man, and I, I love comedy. Love comedy. But in the specific comedy, it was swearing from the beginning to the end, or halfway through. And at some point, this week, the Lord said to me, Willem, you are searing your conscience. You are blunting your conscience. Just through what you are taking in. Television. I watched the other day. Who knows Modern Family? Love the show. Love the show. It's about modern families where you've got this two dads raising kids and very liberal, not just that, but they're very liberal living together. Most of our television is like that. You watch the Trout with Rugby these days, you see them along. All of these things. And, and I watch these things, and to me, it feels like I'm just watching from afar. I'm okay. Ek gaan bad die saam met Annie, ek kyk my so net van ver. But the Bible teaches me, 
What I'm actually doing is, is I'm blunting my conscience. I'm searing, and over time, it sears my conscience. I had a close call not so long ago, and it wasn't in an area of sin, but it wasn't an area of pride. It wasn't an area of performance. It was an area of self-pity. And I stayed in there, in that little box. <coughs> I stayed in that little box for so long that I was only able to see my own self-pity. How this thing was affecting me. And I was starting to complain to the Lord. Oh Lord, why did you stop speaking to me? Lord, why are you doing this to me? Lord, why this? Why that? And it was taking me to a place where my pride and performance was driving me out of self-pity. And it was taking me to a close call. It was taking me to a place where that was not healthy to me. But I didn't even see it. I had no repentance because I wasn't convicted of it because my conscience was seared before that because I was so in myself. The flesh seared my conscience. And it took my mom and the only that came and didn't my master took for me and she said, We will They were here. Acting, and she lays it out in front of me. And the minute that she sees these things, conviction stepped in. Because my conscience got restored in that moment. And as my conscience got restored in that moment, I was able to see. And I said, oh, just Go away, go away. I need to go. I need to go in front of her. And that Wednesday morning, woke up at 5 o'clock. I went to the Lord. I said, Lord. What did I do? And I felt convicted and repented in front of the Lord. And the Lord restored me that morning. And suddenly the self-pity went out the door. So I want to ask you guys this morning. How is your conscience looking? What are you feeding your conscience? Are you allowing the Lord to keep it? Is he the gardener of your conscience? Or is it the television programs that we're watching? Is it something on the internet? Is it that phone, that Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, YouTube TikTok. Instagram, TikTok? Is it conversations at my workplace that is influencing me, that is searing my conscience? Your own arguments, lofty thinking. When the Bible talks about lofty thinking, I'm questioning stuff now. I want to figure things out for myself instead of just trusting what the Lord says about things. I want to figure them out. And that's why it boggles my mind. After 2,000 years, suddenly on some things in the Bible, we want to now question them. After Paul was so explicit, so, so clear in his writing, we think, no, no, I want to just, Paul, are you sure you heard Jesus correctly on this thing? <laughs> you know, lofty thinking. Let me just check Paul on this. And you, you, you know, he's talking about heritage. He's the guy that got revelation directly from Jesus, he says. Jesus was the one that taught him these things. He went into, into one of the heavens. Jesus taught him. He saw Jesus face to face and, and suddenly within the church we are starting to question these things. Let's just check his theology. Anyway, I, I want to end off. I want to ask you guys, 
this morning. Bring your conscience, your chavieta, before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you, I want you to keep, to refresh, to correct, to renovate my conscience in the areas that my conscience has been seared. Now I'm going to give you an opportunity. Just close your eyes there where you're sitting now. I want to give each person an opportunity. Just trust the Holy Spirit now to show you your own life. Where and in what area has your conscience been seared in a specific area? Where has the world's voice been louder than Jesus' voice in an area? Where has compromise come in when it comes to your conscience? Is there some things about God's design that you have started to question? Is there some things in God's design that you have started to question? And then also, I want to remind us that we are serving a loving Father. And so when He asks you this question, it's not to give you a slap on the wrist or to take a, a some book and start beating you and your box on He's actually asking you to say, hang on, I want to help you in this. I want to help you in this. I want to correct this thing. Because you know what? You're on your way to a close call. And in all of those videos, the people got on the other side unhurt. But you know what? Sometimes, sometimes if the enemy gets his way, he will use that close call to destroy you. And we hear stories of people, uh, thinking back of men of faith like Zacharias, heroes of the faith that fell, they got destroyed by their close encounter, by their close call. And he did things that you would never imagine a man of God doing. Why? Because his conscience got seared. And at some point, he went with these things, these evil desires. So I want to ask you guys, if there's anybody here this morning, just in their own hearts, that has something that the Lord has just shown them, and say, hang on, I want to come and restore this morning. Or I want to start, at least start off a process of restoring your faith in my design, in my ways, so that through my ways and through my speaking into your life, I can restore and heal your seared conscience. If there's any person like that this morning, I want you to actually just stand up right now. And we're going to just pray together. Just stand up and we're going to pray together. Actually, all of us should be standing here. It's one of those things I can promise you, every person's heart. I want to further that invitation. If there's anybody that's actually saying, I want someone to pray with me, 
then I want you to just come and stand in the front here. I'm going to pray with you. If there's an area that the Lord is showing you, maybe an area where you have been struggling to get a breakthrough in that area because your conscience has been seared, I'm going to pray with you this morning. And there is an opportunity to come to the front and we're going to pray with you. come to you this morning. And Father, we firstly we just want to acknowledge for everything that we said this morning, that we acknowledge and we realize and we declare that all of these things, Lord, that you have put in our lives is because you love us. It's because you love us, Lord. And your heart for us, Lord Jesus, is to walk out this life and that you will be able to build the character of your Son into us. And so that one day when we stand in front of you and in front of Jesus, that we are that spotless bride. And so, Father, we acknowledge the fact that you have placed certain designs and your ways in our lives, not to lord it over us and not to put a law over us, but actually it comes from because you love us and that you want the best for us, Lord. You want to keep us safe from ourselves, from our flesh, from our own desires, and also from the schemes of the enemy. And Lord, we want to acknowledge this morning that there are, there has been areas and are areas in our lives, Lord, where we have allowed ourselves and the world around us to just work into our conscience. And where our conscience in certain areas has been seared in such a way that we are not feeling conviction after we did certain things and we don't feel conviction anymore if we think certain thoughts anymore when we question your ways and we question things of you we just don't feel convicted anymore after that we almost feel entitled to question certain things in your ways we feel that we have to question certain things and we want to come this morning, Father, we want to repent of that. And we want to acknowledge again, Father, that your ways, your design for our lives is perfect in every way. We want to, we want to come and repent, Lord, if there's something in our hearts that has been questioning anything of your ways in Jesus' name. And Father, if there's anything in us, Lord Jesus, that opened ourselves up that has started to influence our conscience and our way of thinking, we want to repent of that. If we've been spending too much time outside of your consciousness and into other areas, we want to bring that to you. And Father, we want to come and pray for that 99% responsibility that we have to live submitted life. We want to pray for that. And we want to ask you, Lord Jesus, will you not come and take us by the hand this morning through your Holy Spirit and empower us and help us to live a 99% surrendered life to you. Will you come and help us, Lord, in Jesus' name?
In Jesus' name we pray that. In Jesus' name. See, anybody that wants to come and share something? Can I make it in? I'm good in. It's just coming up in my world. I do feel that the Lord isn't entirely finished, so I don't know what it is, but yeah. I just felt suddenly uh, interrupting my spirit. The question to be asked uh, surrounding our conscience is not right or wrong. Is it right for me or is it wrong? The Lord is emphasizing in my own heart, ask the question, is it good for me? Mm -hmm. um, he talks about the tree of good and evil. Yes. That's very good. Thank you. That's very good. That's what you are taking in. That's what you are exposing yourself to on a daily basis. <coughs> is it good for you? Is it working with Jesus? Or is it actually in some ways working against him? How do I think the Holy Spirit wasn't finished? When you see me grabbing tissues, um, I don't, it's not a lot of detail that I feel to share at the moment because I still feel, I just feel somehow have this feeling that the same as what I'm experiencing, someone else might also be experiencing that you feel something but you, you're not at a place where you can say, come and pray for me because I know exactly God showed me this is what it is. Um, but for me, there was an experience this morning where I could feel God saying, I'm out in this area for you. But the warning sign for me that I knew there's an issue is exactly those arguments that comes. But Lord, why? Why is the price higher for me than for someone else? Why is the standard higher for me? Why should I have a difference that why yeah. that's not fair? And how those reactions that you have, even though it's not something that you consciously think, because this week I feel surrendered, I feel fine, but in three weeks' time there's a little thing of that coming, but no, this is not fair. And how that at the end of the day keeps entrapping you because you think, oh, it's just once every three weeks that I've got this thought, it's fine. But we got actually saying, no, it's not fine. The fact that that thing falls up is actually saying there's something we need to deal with. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, I'm, I'm a retired pastor. And uh, we are uh, working in Kairos Ministry, which is a ministry of maybe some of you know. And I think, Willem, uh, what you share today is so important. You sometimes think that pastors are above uh, being transparent. And, and in Kairos ministry, we have to become vulnerable. So we say we've got areas where we are struggling with and we open up in a smaller group and tell people, pray for me, that this areas I'm struggling with. And I just want to say, it's important in a safe environment to do so because uh, then God will clear it and, and He binds us together. A, a church or a ministry team can then, then be strong. It's not about the pastors here 
and all we all have got our areas. And, and, and I just want to say, let's not be afraid to be vulnerable because we've got areas we struggle with that. But the Lord will sort it out. I think that's, that's super important. So if you are, have a question, I think that answers the question, what do I do from here? Where do I go from here? Maybe you didn't have the guts this morning to come to the front and open up about a subject or something that the Lord is speaking to you this morning. Maybe there's an area that you are actually fine at the moment, but come Wednesday or Thursday, the wise are coming. And so I want to just... I want to tap into that and say, work it out with someone. Open up, be transparent, be vulnerable. Vulnerability is so important because if we actually realize that there's no perfect people amongst us, that we're all broken vessels, mm. and that my problem today is what Andre's problem is tomorrow, and, and your problem today is my problem tomorrow, that we can actually invest in Makar, you know? So, yeah, I want to, I want to take it. So there's community groups. Every Tuesday and Wednesday, we've got community groups. It's an amazing place where you've got this close-knit piece of family, not the bigger context that we have on a Sunday morning, but a close-knit body where you can actually sit on a Wednesday evening and say, guys, I need to, I need to get something off my chest here. I've got a why. I've got a question mark on something in my life. Or I'm struggling with something. Can I share with you guys? And then the Lord can take it and you can work more. Is that good? Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. So I've, I've just, I'm not sure if it's going to fit or not, but I've always been a guy that um, Satan got to a point where he always had me in the dark and where I love to function in the dark, uh, function in areas where people saw this of me and then other people saw this of me. So I was like a chameleon. Um, you're telling me. <laughs> my, community, my community knows about it. And, um, uh, and, and that's the, the, the way I've learned to recognize is when the Holy Spirit tells me, Stephen, you're moving to the dark. I stop it. Because the moment you stop it, you, you stop the enemy from diluting your mind and, 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 and starting. Because what there's a process that happened with me and my wife at, at the time years ago that um, the devil lied to me. He said to me, you, do, you can do that because she's doing this. And because she's doing that, it makes it open for you to do certain things. Which was totally false, but I believed it because I pondered on it. I hovered on that thought of what the devil put into my mind. So what I've learned is that me and Andre is, is having this, this thing in the last couple of weeks where we work together. So we're in the same community together. And we, we, we talk a lot to each other about And if something happens when we do something wrong, we open up to each other. And, and, and by doing that, it sort of like puts a stop before it can ponder too late. So I just want to encourage you. I've been through that. I've lived in the dark for a long time where people don't know things about me. Because I, people don't crap on me and I do not crap on other people. And that's how you stay safe. And that's how you stay in a place where you don't need to be crapped. But because we are a community, because we are family, because we are together, it's good to be in a safe place and talk to each other. Me and Andre, we are in a safe place with each other. Um, not just me and me, but at this point. So, yeah. Good. 
Kan ik Afrikaans praten? Ja, zeker. Ik weet niet of het gaan samen mee, maar ik heb in die verleden het ek skuld gemaakt om skuldhoed te maak en so het ek gesabaai. Sonder my wil daarvan weer. En toe kon weet die heren my op een punt waar ek om moes he. En dit was die lekker. En vir maanden, en dit was laas jaar voor, dit is in december, en vir die eerste keer laas maand, jylle toe klop my budget nie. 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 Want ek het mol toegegaan, en ek het gedink, ek gaan vir my make-up koop, my kind vir jou en al die goeders, en toe kom ek vreselik te prees vir jou is aan. Normale goed gekoop, niks uit spelen. Ja, en toe voel ek vir my asof die heren my kom weet, want ek moes hom weer vuis. Ek moes hom vuis om te sê, my badje werk nie. En ewers toe ek toe begin die duivel nie in my oor comments maak om te sê, maar hy hoef nie daarvan te weet nie. Sê nie, ek het geld in een spaar nie, sê nie dit, of sê nie daai. En toe kom ek dat ek al toe gegaan het, sê kom Stefan, luister nie, jylle moet asjeblief nie vir my sê vir my die maand, want ek het nie geld nie. En dadelijk begin ek daai batte vir my skir en haar angstigheid, waar dit my in die verlede terugbring het. En wat so mooi was vir hom, is omdat hy weet, ek het myself bewys, ek kan met geld werk, ek jok nie oor geld nie. Was hy reaksie so mooi om te sê, dis al kein, maar nou moet ons net beter na ons budget kyk. En dit is waar die Heere kom kruis geef het, en in my en sy hart is om te sê, kom ons doen dit nou net beter. En toe hy vijf hier die maand toe sê, nie een van julle in die huis vraag vir my geld nie. Niemand, niemand het vir my geld vraag nie, want ek wil het recht doen. Ek wil het recht doen. En soms voel een mens, Heere, gee my jy draai. Laat ek net bykie weer iets doen wat ek nie moet doen nie, maar dan, jy voel het na die tijd, jy voel het absoluut na die tijd, dat dit die tegen die was die recht. Ons gaan nou draai. I feel there's someone here this morning, and I'm not gonna, I just feel that the Lord is gonna say something to you now. Jylle kan sit, skies, blaad. I feel that there's someone here this morning, and I just wanna, Jane was talking, I saw the Lord convinced you, convicted you, showed you of an area that you were faulty in, that you may have, might have struggled in. And the Lord already showed you that years ago. And then there was something of you at some point that went back on that. You were convicted of it and you changed your ways. And then you went back on that at some point in your thoughts. You flirted again with the things that the Lord actually convicted you on. And you went so far down that rabbit hole that there's no conviction today. There's almost a part of you that feel okay with it. And the Lord says, I must remind you I must remind you of the conviction that you felt at first because your conscience has been seared in this area. I clearly feel the Lord saying this. Your conscience has been seared in this area because you're looking at yourself now and you say, I feel me more scolded. I hear the words clearly. I feel me more scolded. 
And the Lord wants to say, don't feel what you feel now. This is not conviction that you feel. Go back when I spoke to you the first time. Do you remember when I spoke to you the first time? When you feel convicted in that area? That was me. And I just want to drop that with you. If, there, if, if, someone is, if there's someone that feels that's me, just come and speak to me afterwards, will you? Because I do feel there is someone that has been... You've been walking in an area where the Lord, where the enemy has deceived you in actually thinking that I'm okay. And the Lord, I clearly see there was a time when He was the one, not me. He was the one that convinced you, convicted you of an area. And you full, felt fully convicted. And then you backtracked a little bit. And a little bit. And today you're in a place where you don't feel convicted. And the Lord says, go back. You remember that scripture where he says, go back to your first love. Almost. It's almost like he's telling you, go back to your first love, to your initial thoughts. Before you lost your way in this specific area. And it's not your life. I don't feel it's someone that's gone off course. But there's an area in your life. Is that good? Like a one. So there's coffee and tea. There's coffee and tea. Don't run off. The visitors more than welcome to stay. We're going to lack and have a lack of brighter. There's enough salads and foods and stuff. So let's have a lack of time.